right, let's get going. Glad everybody can make it out today. I know we've got some folks that are on, on the road and stuff because we are starting a new series today. And I'm excited about this series. It's called The New Man. Now, to those of you, I've talked about this before, but on my, I've got marker boards in my, in my offices. I'm working out ideas. I write them down because then they're right in front of me and I think about them and I kind of mull it over and stuff like that. And there were three things that I wrote down that I felt like the Lord put on my heart to teach on. This was two years ago. I wrote the Emmaus Road down, which we know what that one was, and then I wrote down the seven festivals, and the third one was the new man. That was my plan for the year two years ago. Here we are. I had no idea it was going to turn into what it turned into in, in any capacity. I did not expect the Emmaus Road to take over a year to go through in its entirety. I, didn't, I, I had eight weeks of the festivals written down, and it turned into four months. Okay, but as you get into this stuff, it, the Lord begins to open things up and unveil it more and more and more and more. And, and I, I don't think it's by coincidence that we are where we are today, because um, one of the things that we've talked about is there is a problem in the church today, not this church. Okay, but the church as a whole, this church has issues as every church does. You know why it has issues? It's because people are involved and people are messed up. Now, you guys are perfect, okay? You guys are fantastic. But, but I mean, there's, there's no doubt about it that we're, there's always going to be some sort of a tension that we have to address. No question about it. The problem in the church today is the church today is unbiblical. Not even close to biblical. You want to know why it's unbiblical? In, in its simplest form is we have a powerless church today. No power whatsoever. Can you read your Bible without finding something that addresses the power of God in it? No, you can't. From the very first word, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's a little bit of power involved in there, because out of nothing comes everything. By an omnipotent being. One who creates all things. I mean, that's power. And then all the way throughout, you've got floating axe heads, you've got talking donkeys, you've got the angel of the Lord coming and, and, and battling on behalf of the nation of Israel. You have the plagues that happen in Egypt. Okay, that's power there. You've got a company of an army that march around a city seven times and then yell really loud and then the entire walls just happen to fall over. Right? There's power involved there. And I'm not even talking to the New Testament yet. Because in the New Testament, Jesus comes on the scene as a man full of the Holy Spirit, goes around healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil. That's why he came. That's what he said. What is sickness? What is oppression? It's all started with sin. I'll start with sin. So what did he come to do? He came to remove sin for the first time in human existence. Sin can be removed. Prior to that, it had always been covered up. Why did they sacrifice? Because it would atone for him. It would cover up that sickness, that disease, that, that sin. It would cover that up. But now Jesus said, I come to remove it. And then in so doing, then something transitions, something happens. Because out of Jesus comes the gift of the Holy Spirit upon the church. We see that in Acts chapter 2. And when he came on the church... That there was power that exuded. I mean, it just, you can't deny there's power all over the place in the New Testament. There's the power of God false. And yet somehow we've gotten away from that. We've got a misnomer of what it is. We've got a misnomer of how it's applied. And it's because we don't know our Bible. We love to cherry pick scriptures. We love our favorite ones. Right? I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you. You know, we, we can say all that stuff. I mean, we've got all these. And that's all well and good. Those are good things to have, but we have a powerless church, and the power of God is real. Did you know, I don't know if you knew this, God still heals today. Don't know if you knew that or not. 
Because if, if I, I've got to ask you a serious question, and this is stuff that I want you guys to think about. This, before I say the, the next thing, this series will be different than anything I've ever taught before here. As you guys know, I'm a teacher at heart. I love the Word. I love the things that the Lord opens up to me inside of the Word. But this is going to, going to be a little bit different than anything that I've done since I've been here. Because this is stuff that the Lord's put on my heart. And it's been incubating for two years, okay? So it's ready to come out. But, but the power of God is real. God still heals today. They're simply reading the Bible. Is there anything in the Bible that would tell you that God stopped at some point doing that? No. Is there anything in the Bible that ever say that the power of God ever stopped falling upon people? Nope. You know what, what has caused that to stop? Tradition. Man-made tradition. I mean, we're singing that song this morning. Have your way in us. We're have your way in us. We pray, I mean, even in a, a more traditional church where, where it's kind of liturgical and you just kind of you stand up, you sit down, you recite some things and stuff, and you leave exactly the way that you came in, and, and they'll, they'll say the Lord's Prayer. Lord, have your will on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, well, we pray that, but how does the Lord's will get enacted upon the earth? It's through the hands and feet of those who go into all the world preaching the gospel. And what happens when people do that? These signs will follow those that believe. But yet we've gotten away from that. We've gotten away from the power of God. And let me tell you something else. I don't want to tell you this because we're going to get into the, the aspects of healing. The reason I say it is no coincidence that we are where we are today in the time that we are is because about three months ago, and maybe longer, Janice started teaching on this very thing on Sunday mornings. This very thing. She started getting into it. And we have lots of questions on healing, don't we, Janet? Lots of them. Because the truth is, we don't see the results that they see in the New Testament. Why don't we see that? Well, let me tell you something that the Lord I, revealed to me, I guess, if you will, would be a good way to say this. Um, a statement was made. I was watching a, a, another sermon by somebody else. And, and the, this is what came to me, okay? Is that we read the Bible. is that by His stripes, we are healed. Do you agree with that? Absolutely, we agree with it. But do you believe it? We agree with everything the Bible says. The Bible says that I agree with it. But do we believe it? Jesus didn't say you had to agree with him. He said you had to believe in him. He didn't say that agree with my word and all will be well with you. No, he said believe in my word. And every promise of God is yes and amen. You see, there's a difference between agreeing in something or agreeing that something exists and believing in it. Believing, having faith and confidence in it. Because that's ultimately what faith is. And so as we get into this series, and we're going to unpack this, today is just going to be an introduction. And i got something the Lord put on my heart to do at the very end today. But, but it's going to be an introduction. And we're just going to get into the Word a little bit. This is not going to be hoopla. This is not going to be a lot of funny games. I don't have pictures for you. I only have Scripture. All right? I will not sing. I will not do a dance. I won't do any of that kind of stuff. It's going to be very simple. We are going to break down passages of Scripture to introduce this idea. Because we have to get the Word of God in it. And we've got to stop simply agreeing with it. We have to believe in it. We have to believe that what He said is true. Think about a child for a moment. I mean, Jesus said to have a faith like a child. Think, my kids, well, not so much now because I've done this too much, but I could convince my children of anything. In fact, I'm so good at what I did is that I convinced them that there's a big fat guy that comes every Christmas that wears a red suit and a white beard, and he shows up and puts presents under his tree, and he loves cookies. Now, the truth is, he's not real. I don't know if you knew that or not. Like, the cookie part, that was my wife's deal. Like, she, she likes the cookies. If it was me, like, he likes a T-bone. He likes it cooked rare and a baked potato. Have that on the table when he shows up. Your Christmas presents are going up. They'll believe anything you tell them, right? Be why? They have no reason not to. No reason not to. I mess around with my kids all the time. I think it's one of the perks of having children is to mess with their heads a little bit. They'll believe anything. Literally, will believe anything. 
But yet we, we're so hard-hearted that we agree with the word, but we don't believe it. We don't truly believe it. We've got to get to that point. And so as we do this, as we get into this idea of what the new man is, let me explain what I'm talking about, and then we're going to get into Scripture today. And this isn't going to be very long because, again, this is introductory. But what I want you to understand is that Jesus said that, that when you are born again, he's talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he says, you must be born again. And he says, if anybody believes in me, they will not perish, but they'll have everlasting life. Now, Nicodemus had to make a choice at that moment. Am I going to believe what he's saying? Or am I going to walk away from it? Because every day we make a decision. I talk to people all the time. All the time I talk to people and say, you know what, someday maybe I'll give my heart to the Lord. I remember sitting in a Bible study one time that I was teaching. There was a guy that I'd gone to school with my entire life. His mother babysat us when we were kids. This, this, he's not a born-again believer or anything like that. He, but he would come to our Bible study. I don't know why. All right, But he would come and he would sit there. And the presence of God was very strong in that moment. And I am sitting here and I'm teaching on, I don't even remember what I was teaching on and stuff, but I talked about the very thing that we must be born again to be right with God. Must be born again. And I looked at him, his name was Terry. I said, Terry, it's time to give your heart to God. Are you ready to do this? And you always said to me, no. I couldn't believe it. I'm sitting there like, like he was hanging on every word. The Spirit of God was working on his heart, and he rejected it. I mean, most people will at least say, okay. They may not mean it, but they'll at least go along. He said no. And he walked away that day. He's still, I mean, praise God, he's still alive. I mean, we're not done yet. But, but I'm sitting there it's like, man, how can you reject this? Like, what about this makes you not want this and so in this one what happens is, is you got to understand this this isn't making things right for you when you give your heart to christ when you become a born again as a believer as what he was talking to nicodemus in john chapter three um it's not just like okay all the bad stuff goes away and then now we're better person no it's literally you are dead and you're made alive like, you were dead in your sins, and now you're alive with Christ. This is completely different. You're not a, a better version of your old self. You're a completely different person altogether. You are a new man. That is what it's talking about. This isn't just a self-help program, like, I've got bad habits that I need to break. This is talking about death to life. And it's important. And so I want to start in Colossians chapter 3. And I'm going to begin to read these passages, and then I'm going to break them down as we go. Because here's the problem. Many of us grew up in church, or been in church in a very long time. We read too fast. We do not take the time to go through it and just chew on every word and see what is God telling me inside this passage. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ. Stop. What is he talking about? If you were raised with Christ. What's he mean by that? You've got to die. If you were raised with Christ, well, when was Christ raised? The resurrection. When God brings him back, defying all odds. Do you think it maybe took a little bit of power to do that? You think maybe something supernatural was going on? Because I don't know about you, but I've never met somebody who was once dead and now isn't. I always thought it would be kind of funny. Like, this is, this, this is how my mind works. You guys know I'm weird, okay? Just bear with me here. But, like, if I die and I'm in that coffin, like, I would be like, God, bring me back then. Like, I just want to sit up and be like, hey, y'all, how you doing? Because I just want to see people freak out. I just think it would be funny. 
but that's how my mind works, so I'm screwed up. Forgive me for that. But if you then, you were raised with Christ. Okay, so he says, if you were raised with Christ, now how does one do that? You must be born again, because you were dead, and now you're raised with Christ. So it happens in that moment, by the power of God. Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Where's Christ? Above, sitting at the right hand of God, the position of authority. Whose throne is he sitting on? He's sitting on his Father's throne. Tells us that in other passages. And at the millennium, when God comes, the new heavens and the new earth, he will sit on his throne, the throne of David, as was promised. Okay? Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. We could spend all day there. Here's the reality of it. We are not there yet. Our minds are set on the things of this earth. We're concerned about where we're going to eat next. We're concerned about how cold it's going to be and can we get warm. We're concerned about our next paycheck or whatever the case may be. We, our mind is not set on the things above. You know why? Because we agree with the Bible, but we don't believe it. We agree with the words that it says. We agree that by his stripes we are healed. We, are, we agree with the fact that he is the one that meets all of our needs according to his rich and glory in Christ Jesus. But let the stock market tank a little bit and we'll be freaking out. Let there be a layoff at our job. They'll be freaking out. Let the corn prices go down and everybody's freaking out. Just in this area, though. Because why? Our mind is not set on things above. It's very clear. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Did you die? Of course you did. When did you die? When Christ died. When were you raised to life? When Christ was. It's the same time. It's the same power. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your, our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Alright. Who is your life? Christ. Now, we believe that. Right? Sure we do. No. We agree with it. Because we don't act like it. If Christ is your life... Your checkbook's different. If Christ is your life, your actions are different. If Christ is your life, then everything you own belongs to Him and is used for His glory. Now, there's a lot of y'all that in here that do that very thing, very faithfully. But some of us are so afraid of that what if? What if this happens? What if that happens? Christ is in our life. But it says, who is our life when He appears? Then we'll appear with Him in glory. There's one way that happens. We died with Him and we were raised with Him. It's the only way that happens. Therefore... Put to death your members which are on the earth. Okay, now think about this. Now Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 talk about how Christ is the head. We are his body. Christ is in heaven seated on the throne. Therefore, where would his body be? Same thing. This is spiritually speaking. Spiritually speaking. But this says here, put to death your members which are on the earth. What member is on the earth? You're looking at it, right? In all its glory, this, this fleshly body. Praise the Lord. Every morning I look in the mirror and I think, man, mirror, you are so lucky you get to look at me every day. That's one lucky mirror. Put to death, remember, it doesn't say fix them. It says kill them. Kill them. And then it goes into specifics. Fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Idolatry means we're worshiping these things. Paul goes to the Nebraska Cornhusker game every week. Paul, would you say there's a few people up there that worship at the feet of Tom Osborne? A few. Yeah, there's just a few, right? Many of them asked him in their heart. And we want him back. All of us do. We miss him. 
But, I mean, you think about it. There are some, people are fanatics about a lot of things. You know what they're not fanatics about? Jesus. Well, you will act like a complete buffoon. I saw, in fact, and Katie and Seth got to experience, we were so fortunate to have a, a, a backseat coach sitting right across from us that knew everything that they needed to do to fix their problems. His number one suggestion, they need to get mad. <laughs> Come on, boys, you got to get mad. Get mad! Well, that's, that's more how he said it. He was about four feet tall, so you definitely can tell he was a former football player. Yeah. But he's like, you got to get mad. I'm like, I don't know that anger is going to bring much to the table. You need to get faster and stronger and be better at what you do. Getting angry about it is not going to fix the problem. But be that as it may. It's idolatry. I mean, we have this idea of idolatry. And then we go around and say, well, this is an idol and that's an idol. And we're like, oh, chocolate cake is an idol and, and uh, American Idol is an idol. And I don't know. Is that even on TV anymore? I don't even know. But, but, but I mean, we've got all this stuff. But it's like we need to put to death our members because then we can live for Christ. Lord, have your way in us. I mean, we sang it this morning. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Now, why is it once walked? Because do born-again believers do the things that we just read? Yes, they do because they have not crucified their flesh. They've not killed the members with its evil desire. But that's not who you are because you are that being that is made new in Christ. That's who you are. You were dead, you're now alive, but you got to get your body in line, you got to get your mind right. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. All right, ready? Anger. Saw a little bit of that last night, okay, just so you know. Wrath, malice. You know, there were some people that I think wanted Urban Meyer dead last night. I don't know. Maybe. Some people wanted Mike Riley the same way. That's not right. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. You know what amazes me? Here's the thing. This just happened to me the other day. I was riding with a, a, a man that is a believer. Okay? He is a good, godly man. We were driving somewhere, and we get to talking, which is not abnormal. And uh, he missed his turn. And out of his mouth comes, oh, stuff. He did not say stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, were you supposed to turn there? He's like, yes, I was. And he's like, I am so sorry. What happened? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You've got to crucify that flesh. We get so worked up about stupid stuff. I've watched born-again believers on the golf course that have the filthiest mouth because they can't hit a golf ball. This is stupid white ball. Why do you care so much? Like, you're not good. You should know you're not good, except you're not good, Okay. Like, you should not get this worked up. During football season, it's the same thing. They get so worked up. Out of their mouth comes this filthy, horrible language. I'm thinking, where? They're coarse joking. Some of the stuff, I mean, again, I, I keep using the golf course analogy because if you've ever been on a golf course, like, you'll learn things about people on a golf course because, <laughs> wow. My favorite thing in the world, like, they're telling horrible jokes. People I don't know with, I play in these tournaments and stuff. Horrible jokes, terrible language. And they say, oh, what do you do for a living? Oh, I pastor your church. Oh, I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> And all of a sudden, they're, they're talking like completely different. Oh, thou shouldest not sayeth that, you know. But here is like, why? That, that We've got to crucify that flesh. We've got to kill it. Not just like mold it into something better. We've got to destroy it, kill it, get it out of there. Yeah. How do we kill it? Oh, we'll get there. Bear with me. Bear with me. We're not done yet. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. Okay, the old man. What's the old man? You're looking at it. You've got the death of the life. Put it off. He's gone. 
his deeds and have put on the new man. And this is where we're going, guys. You have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. All right, a lot of things. You're renewed in knowledge according to whom? Him who created him. Who created that new man? It was God. It was Jesus. He did it. It was according to him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. See, you were made new by Jesus himself. The power of God makes you to be a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. There's something that must take place. Okay, let's go to Romans chapter 6. Starting at verse 1. This is Paul speaking here. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He's, he's, he's getting into this. Hey, now that we've got the grace of God on us, it's because of that grace that was freely given to us. We can do whatever we want. Should we do that? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Died it to sin. Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Hold on a second. Baptize into Christ Jesus. How does that work? That is that born-again experience that we're talking about. Just like he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. When you do that, you are baptized into the body of Christ. And you are baptized into his death. Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death. This is not talking about water. Okay? That is something we symbolically do as a sign of the new covenant in front of a, a, a body of believers. We baptize into that. It's an, it's an outward expression of something that's taken place inside of us. But we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Let me tell you something. When you stop at just agreeing with the Bible and you start believing in what it says, you will do this. Verse 5, For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sins. What did He just say? You were slaves to sin. You are no longer. For He who has died has been freed from sin. Who is He who has died? You. When you died with Him on the cross, you were resurrected with Him by the glory of the Father, you are now dead to sins through Jesus Christ. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with Him. Notice what it said, we believe also, not we agree. That's our problem. We agree with these passages. We do not believe them because if you believe them, your actions will reflect that. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, he dies no more because death no longer has dominion over him. For that death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But that life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? We have to believe this. You have to understand this. I don't care if you went on a murdering spree 20 years ago. When you give your life to Christ, that man died and a new one was born. Created by God in the image and likeness of Jesus himself with the power and glory that he has. 
It is by Him. You've got to believe that because we have a work to do. There is so much to be done, yet we cannot do it by agreeing with the Bible. We have to believe what the Word of God said. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Here's a favorite pet verse, starting in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. How do you do that? You had to die and be resurrected. In the Christ, we love this. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We recite it. Somebody probably has a tattoo of it. Maybe not in here, but somebody somewhere has a tattoo of it because that's how we work around here. I mean, think about this, guys. No condemnation. We say this like it's just a cute saying. There is no condemnation. Why? Because you died to sin with Christ and were born new. Your new man is sinless. Completely sinless. He cannot sin. He is now the image of Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. That new man cannot be killed. By sin, death entered the world. That brought death to you and me. But by Christ, all are made new. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son. In the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. How do you walk according to the Spirit? One way, that new man. He's the only one that can do it. Because that old man had the law. That old man had the ability to keep all the righteous requirements and could not do it because the flesh was weak. So what did God do? He sent Jesus in the flesh, in the likeness of man, to take it on his body and fulfill the requirements of the law on our behalf to all who believe in him. That's the key. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. There's, a, there's, there's an antithesis here. You want death, you want life and peace. Believe in the Bible. Believe in the Word of God. Because the carnal mind is in enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. What did he just tell us? Those who are in the flesh are whom? Non-born again believers. These are, those are the ones that are, Can they please God? No. That means that no matter how good a person you may be perceived to be, you cannot please God because you are unrighteous. You're unrighteous. Now, God is not pleased with a person who is born again that acts like an unrighteous person. But the truth is, is when your heart is changed and you're made new, that that flesh will begin to come in line if you stop being carnally minded and start thinking on the things of the Spirit. When Christ becomes first and foremost in your life, you act different, you talk different, you live different, you are different. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, okay, now how does the Spirit of God dwell in you? You have to be born again. Okay? Read that again. You are not in the flesh. Are you in the flesh right now? We think of this from a natural standpoint. Well, of course we are, but that's not what this is talking about. You're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Then it goes like this. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. How do you get the Spirit of Christ? You become born again. You're baptized into Christ. You guys see how all of these things are coming together. We have to read this biblically. We have to keep these things in the proper context to understand them. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. Your body will die because of sin, right? 
Your body's going to die no matter the new creation that God made you. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Not your own, but because of Christ. Okay? You guys following me so far? You guys picking up on this? We read this stuff way too fast. We do not break this down. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Okay? Now think about that for a moment. What could he possibly be talking about? That means you don't have to be sick. You don't have to be miserable. You don't have to die of cancer. You don't have to die of AIDS because the Spirit of God dwells in you. And that is the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is in you. It will give life to these mortal bodies if you stop agreeing with it and you start believing it. I mean, I'm going to share a little testimony Jim told this morning. There's the, the, the Elsa, I think was her name, right? The gal down there? I said it again. Elsa, Elsa, everybody just went to Frozen, didn't you? How many? Yeah, show of hands. Elsa, Frozen? No, just me? Okay. Okay, my wife did. Yeah, we're, we're mind melting here. But her husband had HIV, and, and which naturally means that she did as well, right? I mean, you know, and, and so Jim and Alma had prayed for her and knew in that moment she was healed instantly and been begging her to go see the doctor to go get tested just to prove it to the world. Okay? And she didn't do it. You know why she didn't do it? Didn't have the money. And cheap. And honestly, there was probably a little bit of fear. Because not knowing is sometimes better than knowing. Because we just don't want to deal with life. And we don't want to deal, so we want to hide from it. And so they, they sent her the money to get tested. And guess what? Who would have guessed it? It's gone. Power of God still real? Of course it is. You've got to believe in this word. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Again, what is this talking about? This is not simply talking about a born-again believer just living his life carnally. This is talking about the difference between life and death. The old man is dead, but the new man is alive in Christ. Only way. It has to be. This is what, if you live according to the flesh, you will die, spiritually speaking. Because guess what? If you do all the right things and you're a born-again believer, your flesh will die. That is obvious. What this is talking about is, spiritually speaking, you are dead in your sins. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, in other words, you stop living like that and give your life to Christ, you will live. As many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of the God. There's one way to be led by the Spirit of God. And as for him to dwell in you. And the only way he can dwell in you is to be born again. Then let's go to 2 Corinthians. We're almost done, guys, I promise. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tenth, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. What is this house? What is this tent? Again, you're looking at it. It is you, what you see in the mirror. If our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed. In other words, how do you destroy it? It dies. We have a building from God. How do we know that? Because the Word says it, and we believe it. It's not made with hands. It's eternal in the heavens. This is not talking about uh, you have your mansion in heaven. This is talking about that new glorified body. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. In other words, we want to be out of here. We want to be in the presence of God at all times. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. In other words, we're covered with the glory of God. For we who are in this tent groan, 
being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Again, you're talking about spiritual versus physical. This tent is groaning. We want to be that. There is something, there's a confidence that a born-again believer that he does not fear death. He does not fear death. I got asked just a while ago, do I fear death? The answer is absolutely not. In no way do I fear death. Why would I? Now, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. A guarantee. It is like, hey, how do you know that you're truly born again and believe The Spirit of God dwells in you. So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. We're not in His presence. We are here. For we walk by faith, not by sight. There's another one of those verses that we love, and we throw it out all the time. For we are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Why do we walk by faith and not by sight? Because we're not standing in the presence of God. We believe what the Word said. We don't just agree with it. We believe it. That in this body, this tent, that is going to be gone away, it's going to die, and we groan for the day that we will be in the presence of God with that new glorified body that He has promised us with the seal of the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. And that is the faith that we walk in, the belief in what He said, not by sight. Why is it not by sight? Because we can't see it. Some people have gone crazy with this thing that if you look for any evidence that God is doing something that you're not walking in faith, that's nonsense. I mean, anybody who walks this planet has the evidence of God all around him. And I don't have to see people healed to know that God said that he'll do it and that he does it. I know it because he said it. Jump down to verse 12. For we do not, for we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. By the things that you see, they're proud of, but not the things that are inside of them. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. What compelled them? The love of Christ. What was the love of Christ? He died for you, for Paul, for Barnabas, for all of them. And if he died for all, then all who believe in him died and were resurrected with Him. So therefore, we no longer live for ourselves. We live for Him. Verse 16, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Not some, none. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. What do they mean? They met Him. But now they know Him that way no longer. Therefore, here's another one, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old things have passed away. What does passed away mean? They died. They didn't just trickle off into the darkness. They're dead. They passed away. Behold, all things become new. Not some things, all things. You are a recreated spirit. This word, new creation, is metamorphosis. It's the same word that has when a caterpillar goes into the cocoon to come out as a butterfly. I don't know if you know this or not, but he doesn't just sprout wings and long legs. He literally becomes a puddle of goo and is recreated into something that is completely different than the old one was, all right? You've got to understand this. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself 
through Jesus Christ. Stop there. What things are of God? All things are of God. Who did what? He reconciled us, you and I, to himself. Through whom? Jesus Christ. What does this tell you? You can't earn it. It was You were reconciled by God to him through Jesus. He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. What does that mean? He's brought us back into the fold of the body of Christ through him, through what he said, through what he did, has brought it. The ministry of reconciliation is the demand that we tell everybody that this is available. It is the ministry bestowed on every single believer. It does not say your pastor. It does not say your evangelist friends, your prophets, whatever. It says all of us have the ministry of reconciliation to tell the world that they are brought to him. And then he goes in in verse 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He explains exactly what it is. We are his representative. We are his imagers created in the likeness of him. Therefore, we should look like him and we should smell like him. You know, Bernie last week when he was here was talking about pastors should smell like their sheep, right? I mean, there's something, there's this trend in the, in the world out there today that pastors are some, somehow up here in this hierarchy of spiritualness that they're so much more spiritual. You know the difference between a pastor and a lay person is their calling, and that is it? Their place with God is no different than your place with God. The same with a prophet, same with an evangelist, same with any of those. The difference is the calling. That doesn't make them more right with God. It puts a little different demand on them. But here, it's, it, I mean, I mean, let's read this again. I, I just can't get over it. We are his ambassador. We are his imager for Christ. As though, as if, as if God himself were pleading through us. He's begging. He's saying, you must do this. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Whose behalf? Notice it doesn't say for your sake. It says for his. Why? Because he sent his only begotten son in the world that whoever would believe in, in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What does this mean? He sent Jesus, who never sinned. He lived, a, he lived what we should have. He never broke the commandments. He never broke a law. He lived righteously. And all that he did, he, God, the Father, made him to become sin for us. Put the sins of the world on his back, that back that was beaten, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You notice it says that we might become. That means it's not a guarantee to everybody. It is a guarantee to everybody who puts their faith in Jesus. But it's not a guarantee to anybody that's simply being born that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. And that's the problem we have in the church today. Is that's the message that's being taught. That you are just instantly born. You're right. If you just simply be baptized, that's all you need to do. Or if you go to church, you're a good person. If you give, if you give money to the church, if you give money to, to charities, if you do good things, if you take your neighbor cookies. Those are all great things to do, but they don't make you the righteousness of God in Christ. There's one thing that does that, and that is being a born-again believer. Why am I hammering on this? Because this is the beginning of how you become that new man. And that new man has demands placed on him. Because, I'm just going to read this to you. It's not on the screen. We're going to use an actual Bible for a moment. It's a real thing. It's one of these big paper things. Some of you have one. Some of you have it on, your on a screen. That's okay. But there's something that happens here. And we'll get into this verse uh, more as we get into this. But I, I want you guys to see this. Like, there's two things that I want you to take away from. Number one, 
We agree with the Bible wholeheartedly, but we do not believe it. And you know how I know that? It's because our actions do not reflect it. How many times have you heard of somebody who's been sick that you did not go lay hands on? And if everybody is in here is honest, it's a lot. Okay? How many times have you met somebody who you know is an unbeliever, they don't have faith in Jesus Christ, that we were too nervous, timid, whatever the case may be, worried about what they think of us, that we did not share the gospel with? That's because we don't believe in the word. We, we agree with it. Yep, that's good. Got to be born again. It's all up top. Yep, it's all in your head. In Mark chapter 16, at the end of this, Jesus is getting ready to go up. He's going to ascend. He's going to tell the disciples uh, that you need to go stay in Jerusalem all the time. This is literally the last words that he gives to them. Okay? But watch what he says here. And in Mark chapter 16, verse 14, he says, Later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Why is he getting on to them? Because people were telling him that they were, he was back, he was resurrected, he's alive. The reason he's getting on to them is because that's a far-fetched story. There's no question about it. I mean, if your grandma passes away and three days later somebody says, hey, I saw your grandma at the grocery store, and you're like, hey, I have this psychiatrist friend you need to go see. But here's the thing. Jesus told them that this was going to happen. So they didn't believe his word. They may have agreed with it, but they didn't believe in it. So he'd get on them. And then, verse 15, he said, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's everybody, okay? He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. Now, who are the those? It's not talking to the disciples, it's those who believe. It's who they go and preach to, all nations, all creatures. If they believe, this is what's going to happen. In my name, whose name? Jesus, the name of Jesus. They will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick. And they will recover. You notice it didn't say they might. It always says they will. They will do these things. This is what's going to happen. These are the signs of those who believe. We don't see that today. We don't see the power and presence of God like we should. We don't see the things of God like we should. We've got a, a strong belief in God. And we agree with His Word. But we don't live our lives to the wholest of what God says. You see, guys, this new man, and this is, again, this is introductory, okay? I want you to understand this. why we went through the verses that we went through today. You have to understand who you are in Christ. What you did before you came to him does not matter because those sins are not imputed to you. They were imputed to Christ. They're taken away. You're a new creation. You get that way by being born again. And so what you guys are going to see is in the coming weeks here, is again, it's going to be different than anything we've done since I've been here. This is, we're, we're, we're in year three now, okay? But I believe that God's been laying a foundation of getting the word in us, getting the word in us, getting the word in us. I mean, we, if anything around here between Janet and myself and those others that help, the word gets taught in this church. I think everybody would agree with that. The presence of God is always in this church. There's no question about that. We, during worship, I mean, you can just feel it. There's a presence of God. But the power of God is not always in this church because we haven't believed the word. Amen. You guys with me?